0: Hello, purple people. Giles and Susie here, with a reminder that tickets for our online live show taking place on Thursday, 25th March 2021, are on sale at citizenticket.co.uk. So make sure you get yours today.
1: It's going to be a great show. Please do come and join us wherever you are in the world as we celebrate all things words and language. Plus, we get to answer your wordy questions live on the night. We really can't wait to see you there. Um, You can follow the link in the feed or go to citizenticket.co.uk for tickets. Now, though, it's on with the show.
0: Hello, this is another episode of Something Rhymes with Purple. It's a podcast all about words and language, and it's presented by me, Giles Brandreth, and by my friend and colleague, Susie Dent. I'm in London, England. She's in Oxford, Oxfordshire. How are you, Susie? <laughs>
1: I'm okay, thank you. I am okay. I've had the vaccine. Whoop.
0: Yay, Susie's um, had this. It's taken over from the weather. English people, when they met in olden days, used to talk about the weather. Now they talk, first, have you had your jab? And then, uh, which jab did you have?
1: Oh, it's like the Josh Berry sketch that we've talked about before, yes. Oh, but, I had the Oxford. I did actually have the Oxford one, fittingly, because I had it in Oxford. Felt rough for a day, um, but that was it. After that that was, was
0: it. Everyone, anybody is doing. I, I, as you know, had the Pfizer one. I'm I fizzing like with Pfizer. I don't mind at all, and I think the. I mean, we're we're happy with it. We're comfortable. We don't feel we're like about to have blood clots. We're not yes. alarmist. We're taking it in our stride, and yep. we're moving on. I'm I'm actually looking forward to my second jab. And I, you know, I'm a friend of um, a man called John Prescott who yes. was Deputy Prime Minister. And yep. when I was an MP, his parents were constituents of mine. That's why I got to know him. And then, of mm-hmm. course, I knew him when he was uh, a Member of Parliament and I was a Member of Parliament at the time. And he was known for a while as Two Jabs Prescott. Yes, and I'm not. longing for him to get his second jab. So then I can tweet <laughs> and I can say, congratulations, Two Jabs Prescott. Yay!
1: <laughs> you can see yeah. I'm
0: in skittish mood.
1: I can see. You've been thinking about that one for a long time. But, uh, well, um, I, but I, yes, I, aren't we lucky? We are so lucky that we there was actually just just very quickly on this there was such a nice atmosphere in the queue it was quite a long queue when I went and a fa- apart from a few grumbles about having to wait which again is quintessentially British most people were just absolutely delighted um and yeah what a team it was so yes yeah, so that's happened since I last spoke to you I think
0: remind me why we in Britain call it a queue and in America they call it a line
1: well. I don't know when that difference emerged, but we took our cue as we often, you know, when the Normans came over, as we often say, Norman French became the language of the elite and prestige. And so law was suddenly filled with lots of French terms. And we probably took cue from there as well, because la queue, spelt the same way in French, means a tail. So they saw a queue as looking sort of undulating like an animal's tail. And a line, I guess, is just a bit more transparent. Don't know when the difference occurred, but I suspect ours is just down to wanting to be a little bit elite, like the French.
0: Today, we're going to talk about hyperbole. I pronounce it hyperbole. Some people say, as in Super Bowl, hyperbole, but it is hyperbole. Why is it hyperbole? What does that word mean?
1: Uh, Hyperbole is from the Greek. So if you unpack it, it consists of two elements and it means to throw over so it's the the idea of kind of going higher and higher and higher there's also um the hyperbola in mathematics is all to do with um open-ended curves i think but it's about excess essentially so hyperbole is excess it's exaggeration um it's linguistic inflation when we don't think that the existing language and the existing terminology is enough
0: This is the moment for me to pay tribute to one of my linguistic heroes, who in his own way, therefore, was a master of hyperbole, who sadly died the other day, the great Murray Walker, much-loved, idiosyncratic voice of Formula One, known for his Murrayisms and, and and sort of pants-on-fire commentating style, wasn't He's he? He was
1: so excitable, wasn't he? Was he was so
0: excitable. Do you brilliant. have a, a favourite? This is, I want to explain this to our world listeners. Uh, Formula One, that where where despite us all wanting and loving the environment, still people seem to watch it, where racing cars go vroom, 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 vroom. Uh, this lovely man, Murray Walker, who had been in advertising, became a much-loved commentator and said extraordinary things, didn't he?
1: Yes. Uh, well, I can only remember two, and that you know, as with all of these things, they may be apocryphal. Possibly, it's a little bit like Yogi Berra saying um, it's like deja vu all over again. So, apologies to the late Murray if these are wrong, but apparently he said there's nothing wrong with the car except it's on fire. I wish I could do his voice. <laughs> and then I think wasn't there the sort of the, the legendary time when someone put their middle finger up, and he said something like. I'm going for first. In other words, he was trying to explain away why somebody would put up his middle finger and So he said, oh, well, I, I'm, I'm going to accept the interpretation <laughs> okay. that he's saying first. So those are the two I remember.
0: Oh, I don't make mistakes, he insisted. I make prophecies which immediately turn out to be wrong. <laughs> uh, and I mean, he, sometimes they went wrong almost instantly. I mean, he, one of his famous catchphrases was, unless I'm very much mistaken... I am very much mistaken, he would say, (laughs) immediately afterwards. I just loved it. Uh, The card in front is absolutely unique, except for the one behind, which is identical. (laughs) I mean, you couldn't make it up. And now, excuse me while I interrupt myself, he would say, uh, Tambay's hopes, which were previously nil, are now absolutely zero. I mean, this is gorgeous stuff, isn't it? (laughs) On another occasion, he reflected simply that the status quo could well be as it was before. Oh, Mansell is slowing down, definitely taking it easy. Oh, no, he isn't. It's a lap record. I just think it's fantastic. I've been reading, I was going to say with great pleasure, obviously not with sadness. I've been reading his obituaries, but I've been reading them with pleasure. Yeah. Uh, he, he lived to quite a good age. He lived to 97 and he had a long and full life and some very interesting obituaries. And in one of them I discovered, which I hadn't known before, that he had been an advertising man
1: mm-hmm. in his
0: early days. And that may explain his wonderful way with words. Mm. The main accounts he looked after in the early 60s were Vauxhall cars and Mars confectionery and pet foods who, whose products he was obliged to endorse to shopkeepers by solemnly opening a tin of Kitty Cat and consuming the contents Uh, in those days mostly whale meat, to demonstrate their wholesome nature and the phrases that he came up with during his advertising days included a slogan for the bird food trill makes budgies bounce with health and for opal fruits made made to make make your mouth water Correct. Made to make your mouth Unfortunately, water.
1: Unfortunately, that advertising tune was the same as S.O. Blue, if you remember that. And so I always used to end up singing S.O. Blue, made to make the mouth water. And S.O. Blue is actually a type of petrol. Oh, but yeah. That wasn't very good. Uh, those two have come completely conflated in my head. But you're right to mention advertising because they are, of course, full of hyperbole. And that's what we are talking about good. today. You know, why be tired when you can be shattered or not just have an appetite, but you've got to be starving and and you might be a little bit scared but you are terrified and everything is awesome or hideous and it's a kind of linguistic supersizing, and we are all guilty of it.
0: Well, look, welcome, therefore, if you've just joined us, to our best ever extra special supersized edition <laughs> of the show that already gives 110% effort, one million percent of the time. <laughs> why do we do this, yes. Susie?
1: Uh, well, there's been some really fascinating research done in recent years, really, to explore why we do like um, inflation. And one of the theories is that we actually do this in order to stimulate our brain more. And um, one of the observations have been made is that actually extroverts require more cortical stimulation than introverts. In other words, in order to feel something, they have to describe something in very, very intense terms. And the result is that it just kind of builds up and up and up. So they're never hot, but they're sweltering. And as I say, everything is kind of full of melodrama. And that apparently is because you need more linguistic bang for your buck if you are an extrovert, which is fascinating. But I think we are also all guilty of it because I don't know if you've known uh, heard of the very famous linguist Stephen Pinker. Yes. He describes something called the euphemism treadmill, whereby one euphemism for something kind of gets itself to be perhaps either too... Too direct, so we create another euphemism, or the euphemism gets tired, and so we create another one. And it's just one continuous thing. And that's exactly like hyperbole, because now, you know, if we've been describing fairly sad things as tragic for a long time, but when something truly tragic comes along, you need that truly, or you need that. You know, that intensifier, because tragic isn't enough. The same with heroes. Heroes had to become superheroes because a hero wasn't enough by itself. And so the prefixes like uber, or as I say, super, or there was the mega, whatever, kind of become these linguistic pylons because by themselves, the words have become diluted.
0: So you get an absolute term like unique. And people say, can't say it was unique because it actually is unique. They have to say yeah. it was completely unique. Or yes. amazingly unique, or remarkably unique. So everything yes. is, uh, I can see.
1: Everything that. is is egged up, egged up. Is that the right beefed up, not egged up? Okay. Well, I no, egg, no. egging be, on.
0: It's it's egged on. It's beefed up. It's supercharged. It's beefed up
1: and it's egged on. Egged on. By the way, we must do a, a program or a, an episode on advertising, which you mentioned, because go to work on an egg.
0: Go to. I remember it well. Go to work mm. on an egg.
1: That was the the writer Faye Weldon. Really, he worked in advertising. And what about naughty but nice, usually accompanied by a picture of a chocolate eclair or something amazing?
0: Naughty but nice, I like. Uh, who who Salmon came up? Salmon Rushdie. You're joking.
1: No, I think it's all about benefits of cream. cream naughty cakes. but nice. Naughty but nice.
0: But yeah. Oh yes. Well, do you know I loved um, uh, who is it? Oh Kipling, Mr Kipling's cakes. Uh, do you remember good exceedingly good cakes? Good cakes. And he had
1: that. Whoever the narrator was had that brilliant rumble in his voice. Anyway, we should do... We definitely should do an episode on advertising. Yeah, we will. Um, Back to hyperbole. You will will find it everywhere. So, as you say, with unique... Things aren't unique anymore. Unbelievable is usually all too believable nowadays. And there are adjectives that actually were once perfectly sort of standard and acceptable. So... We know about nice. If you say to somebody, "Oh, I, that that jumper's nice," or if I was to say to you, "Do you like my Do you like my haircut, Giles?" and you'd said, "Yes, it's nice," I would think, "Oh, okay, yeah, <laughs> it's it obviously is. not that good because you haven't piled on the exceptional adjectives, which is ridiculous, really." But nice is the same. Interesting as another, you might say, "Oh, that's interesting." Um, average. We use average and mediocre now to mean really sort of of middle-of-the-road, boring, bland things. We're actually mediocre meant halfway up the mountain. So you were kind of halfway up and that was a good thing. So you were on your way up to the summit. And average began in trading terms when it was all about the liability share between a ship and its cargo in transportation. And it simply meant things that were sort of evened out. But again, if something is average, it's run of the mill and probably not seen as being particularly exciting. So all of these have kind of lost their power. And because of that, We need to up the game.
0: And there's no way we can undo this. I mean, I was reading the newspaper the weekend and glanced at a very dull column about gardening. And it really was rather dull, but I hadn't seen it in the paper before. And I looked at the headline and the paper was telling us, was introducing us to this glorious new column where our brilliant writer, and was nothing glorious or brilliant mm. about it, but that's those are the go-to words.
1: Yes, of course. And the danger, of course, is that nothing means very much anymore because we've kind of exhausted ourselves and so what happens then is not only do you reach for these intensifying adjectives but tautology becomes quite common as well so if you look at um, or listen to sports commentary there's not just grit it now has to be grit and determination and there's no um, strength without stamina Um, and I I don't know if you remember when um, in 2018 Donald Trump then president, was talking about the UK and the US's so-called special relationship. Special relationship has become the label, hasn't it, for our relationship with the US. And he simply ran out of superlatives. So he just called them the the highest level of special (laughs) because he didn't really know where to go with it. So sometimes we just come up short because we've, as I say, we've just... We've just exhausted ourselves and our language. And it's it's everywhere. And I think, as I say, I use it all the time too. You know, I definitely don't excuse myself from this. Weather forecasts also are quite full of melodrama. So you'll have wonderful new phrases like thunder snow. Or a Frankenstorm, weather bombs, and in fact, winds. Talking about bombs, winds are often bombarding. Um, so everything has to pack a punch. You cannot now have a middle of the road. As I say, middle of the road was a perfectly respectable way to be, place to be. You can't have that anymore.
0: Does it work with numbers? Do people now talk about? I mean, I said earlier, one hundred and ten percent. Does actually yeah.
1: people do that? Do they with with numbers? People, um, I don't know. 110% is the best example I can think of. But I suppose and you say
0: million zillion. Yeah, million zillion. I love you, not just once. But humongous. A million, yes,
1: yeah. you're right. We, we kind of resort to those sort of vague, supersized adjectives, don't we? And you ask about whether or not we will ever go back. I think at some point we probably will have to. There's some consolation in the fact that we have actually been doing this for a very long time. So, um, do you know what uptitling is?
0: Uptitling, no.
1: Yes. Okay so up-titling is where you make what is a quite a sort of standard job sound absolutely extraordinary but in so doing you lose all sense of what this person is actually doing. So a um, shelf stacker becomes a stock replenishment executive. So it's that kind of sort of slight euphemistic glamour that sometimes gets a bit ridiculous. But in the 1960s, the Oxford English Dictionary has, maybe it was the 1940s, has a record of a rat catcher being called a rodent operative. (laughs) So it's not entirely new.
0: I do remember a window cleaner once being described as a scandioscopist. But why oh. that should be, yes. I know window washers have been called vision clearance engineers, but where the scandiscopist comes from, I'm not at all sure.
1: No, I'm not sure either on that front. That sounds a bit voyeuristic to me.
0: The, the BBC famously has funny titles for people, mm. things like sort of Head of Vision, a receptionist nowadays apparently can be called a director of first impressions.
1: Oh, that's just ridiculous! And the sort of marketing associates are called brand warriors, aren't they? And we have people in government who are now czars if they're in charge of things. So, uh, yeah, we have been doing this for for a little while.
0: What is an underwater ceramic technician?
1: Um, boiler man, boiler woman.
0: Apparently, it's a dishwasher. An underwater ceramic <laughs> technician? I mean, please. And okay, what about.
1: I don't like that. What about literally? Does that really get on your nerves? Oh. I literally died laughing.
0: Yes, because none of it's true. Um, well, we
1: just... no, it's so interesting now. But, you know, as we always say, dictionaries record usage as they don't prescribe it. And so it gets a lot of people very hot under the collar that literally now has a figurative meaning in the dictionary. So it will say literally, but it will also give the figurative sense where it's just an intensifier, which is exactly how we use it. That's a perfect example of hyperbole.
0: And that's a that's genuine hyperbole. I mean, I think some of these job titles are invented. You know, a talent delivery specialist being a recruitment consultant or a marketing associate being called a brand warrior. I can see that happening. We are the brand warriors.
1: Now, I think I've heard brand warrior, actually. But it's the same, isn't it? When you go into a coffee shop, I made this mistake the other day. I was ordering a small coffee. I'd completely forgotten the the labels and the names for coffee because I hadn't been to a coffee shop for such a long time. And it said grande. And I said, oh, no, I only wanted a small. And they said, yes, that is small. (laughs) Yes. Isn't that ridiculous? it is slightly stupid. Uh, what is it?
0: If that's a small, if grandy is small, what's a medium? What's a large?
1: I, can't, I, can't, I actually genuinely can't even can't remember. Oh, yeah. It's
0: quite it's quite odd actually. It's
1: venti, isn't there?
0: And the one that seems large is actually sounds a bit small. Uh, one is called tall, wasn't it? What what's the tall one
1: called? Yeah, I think it depends which bra which chain you go to.
0: Oh.
1: I think tall is small. I Ta- think tall is the smallest that you can get at one particular chain. It's it, it's crazy and it's very difficult to one pick. Uh, Actually, get, one place yes. where there is where there's a kind of the opposite of supersizing is in clothes and clothes sizes. Because what used to be an eight when I was a teenager would now be a six. Ooh. And it's all to do with kind of for some reason making you feel better and feel smaller, which again is a bit ridiculous. So that's the kind of move in the opposite direction. I tend to go for the ones that say extra small, small, medium and large, and then I know where I am. Yeah, Um, And I do everything online also.
0: We do. I'm afraid we do now. I'm getting quite nervous about going back into a shop. Are you? I'm I'm actually getting a bit nervous about going, and this seems ridiculous, doesn't it? I think I'm getting a bit sort of, Social phobic.
1: You are not alone, Jars. I think so many of us are going to feel that. Apart from maybe the under, I had a huge generalization coming up, and the purple people will correct us massively. But, you know, apart from seeing our closest and dearest, I think a lot of people will be quite nervous about going into any kind of big. Big space. Apart from maybe the you know, those in their 20s. I don't know. I might be wrong. I know the students are itching to get back to their parties.
0: So what is our bottom line on hyperbole? Are we in favour of it? Are we simply recognising it? Do we want to encourage people to use? I think we do want to encourage people to use the language more imaginatively. So it's a little bit yeah. of a cop out simply to fall back on super duper,
1: yeah, it's true isn't it? I think we haven't quite got rid of the understatement that is supposed to be so British. There are phrases that work in the opposite direction so I might say to you mm, that's not bad and actually that's not bad is saying that's really good um that's called litotes oh Litotes why is it called litotes? it's kind of like, it's sort of underplaying something for effect. So actually you are achieving the opposite. It's a kind of little bit of of downshifting, if you like. There's there's one other area that I must mention. In fact, maybe we have mentioned this in that we did a beauty and makeup episode, didn't we? I think when I talked about the names that were given to makeup bits and bobs, which are actually ridiculous and so sexualized. I mean, it's a slightly different subject, but Again, it's all about sort of bigging something up. So I don't know, a blusher will be called a glow job and yeah, oh. it, gets, it, it really, it gets or- orgasm. There's another one. There's loads of ones like these. That's another area when we go shopping, whether it's makeup or whether it's chocolates that are not just covered in whatever, they're now enrobed and lovingly dusted with cocoa and truffles are hand dipped and eggs are farm fresh and all of that stuff.
0: I was reading a survey about chocolate and sex, since you mentioned both in the last sentence. Mm. And it was interesting that people were divided 50-50 on which they preferred in life, uh, chocolate or sex. My wife... Uh, Said the only difference from her point of view was that uh, the advantage of sex was that it used up calories. The disadvantage of chocolate was that you gained calories. But on a sort of, on every other basis, probably chocolate is to be preferred.
1: Mm, I think a lot of people are probably with you on that one. Moving swiftly on, but only on to underpants, when we had our punctuation episodes, I'm dipping right back into the back catalogue here, we talked a lot about exclamation marks, which are kind of key to hyperbole because you know, when we haven't got the words to add bombast, we kind of add a bit of gusto with our punctuation marks. School kids are being urged to reduce their habit, And, you know, sometimes you can seem, as Terry Pratchett would say, sort of a little bit psychotic if you use so many Exclamation marks. And do you remember he said all those exclamation marks? Five, a sure sign of someone who wears his underpants on his head. So <laughs> he that was his view I of like deliberate, it. dramatic over egging the pudding. Over egging the pudding, that was the that was the metaphor I was looking for. That's good. Not egging someone on. I yeah. like
0: I like over-reading the pudding. Isn't it interesting yeah. how phrases come into the language? Uh, you know, it doesn't take much to be a legend these days. No. Nope. Somebody says uh, the 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 slide. I was on local radio the other day and I said something quite banal, and the fellow said, "Oh God, you're legend. You're legend." Yes. I mean, honestly.
1: Or it's the same with awesome. And every agreement is a landmark one. And you know, somebody you might say something a little bit clever, and they'll say, "Oh, that's genius," which of course it's anything but. And you're a star if you get someone a coffee. It's all of those. So actually, you know, when someone is a real star or a real legend or a real hero, as I said before, it's, it's where do we go? You know, it's a dangerous path that we are following. But I guess there is so much white noise around, whether it's from social media, whether it's, you know, just noise, cacophony in our, in our lives, that we have to be heard. And in order to be heard, you need to pilot on. So I think possibly that's where the impulse is coming from.
0: And when we're being heard, we're giving now not just the truth; we're giving our truth. I mean, it's rather like unique. Either there's something's unique or it isn't. Either something's true or it isn't. The the phrase has gained currency uh, Mm. because I think it is a phrase that was either used by Meghan during the interview with Oprah Winfrey, or Mm. certainly around it, of "I want to speak my truth," and uh, I suppose. What people mean is the truth from my point their of view. Their mm. Their point of view. And of course, indeed, as uh, the Queen observed in the Buckingham Palace statement... Uh,
1: recollections may vary.
0: Re- recollections may vary. So I suppose truth, yeah. truths may vary. So what one is offering is my truth. But it,
1: yeah. it feels... I don't think we're going quite as far as Trump's alternative facts clearly. What, what, was <laughs> what was
0: that? What did, what did he offer? He offered something that was clearly untrue. And he said, no, oh, that's not untrue. It's that's an alter- alternative. No, to- it I it. I
1: think it. it was his spokesperson. It was when there was this ridiculous argument over how many people came to his inauguration as opposed to Obama's. And so he gave one number and the press gave a very different, much lower one. And his spokesperson said, well, it's we, we have alternative facts. Um, but I can see a little bit more clearly that my truth might be, as you say, something that is, seems true from my perspective and is how I felt, whether or not it's the kind of empirical truth that everyone else took on. But it's it's a difficult one. I mean, the, the whole area of fake news has t- dominated us, really, for, for the last three or four years. But then George Orwell predicted this, too. And hyperbole is all part of that, isn't it? Because the more we build something up, the more we lose sight of the original, really.
0: Speaking of losing sight, people can catch sight of us because, you know, later this week, we're doing our live version of on something. Right. It's on Thursday. And I think it's at 7.30 in London time, different times around the world. It's virtual. That's a bizarre expression, isn't it? It's, it's, it's virtual, but it's real. I mean, virtual mm. implies that we'll be there as kind of puppets or... Um, avatars. Avatars. But we, <laughs> what's the origin of avatars, a word?
1: Avatar actually is really interesting. Um, It is, I think it's Sanskrit. It's got a very sacred origin. So in Hinduism, it's a manifestation of a deity or released soul in bodily form on earth. From there, obviously, much, much later, it moved to mean an icon or a figure representing you in a video game, etc. But it's from Sanskrit originally.
0: We won't be avatars. We will be real people. Live. We're going to have a blast. And people can people contribute and, and ask us questions? Yes, and we've things?
1: got a Q&A so they can ask us questions. So as many people that we can, as many of the purple people that we can have, because um, we've talked before about the fantastic evening that we had in, in yeah. London, in Islington, where we had just, we were so humbled, weren't we? I think we, we still feel quite emotional about that evening because the purple people really meant something that night, because you could really see that there's a community of people who are as word nerdy and passionate as we are. So it was great. So hopefully some of those will be coming as well.
0: Look, if you want to get involved, just follow the link that's in the programme description for today. And that will take you straight through and you can book your tickets and you can be with us this Thursday evening. And if it's after Thursday and you missed it when you're listening to this... Well, you did miss a classic, an absolute classic, <laughs> says he with <laughs> and you, with but, foresight. <laughs> <laughs> but don't worry, there's a complete library of more than 100 episodes so you can catch up at a later date. Look, as Murray Walker would say, with half the race gone, there's half the race still to go. Let's take a break. Welcome back. One of the joys of Something Rhymes with Purple is that it's for the purple people and the purple people play their part and they get in touch with us. And we've had so many communications this week. Something on phobias has come in from Jose Salgado and uh, he is in Lisbon. And he's been in touch to point out a rather cruel one. The fear of long words is mm-hmm. apparently hippo poto monstros sequi, delia, phobia? Delia phobia.
1: Sesquip, Sesquipedalian means a very long word. And it actually means a word that is a foot and a half long. Uh. Um, and so a hippo-poto-monstro is, is actually brilliant for this episode because it's massive hyperbole all there in one. So as we've just discovered, it is impossible to pronounce. I'm going to give it one more go. Poto monstro
0: Bravo! The way you said that was supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Well done, you. <laughs> Sensational. It's a made-up um, word, is it? Yes, obviously, of course it's a made-up word. Like
1: everything, it? yes. Um, we've got another new word coming in from Marc LaViolette. What a great name. And he talks about in times of the pandemic when the immunity that we were seeking by reclusing ourselves to the basement with a plethora of snacks in order, he says, to practice niche pastimes was nerd immunity. <laughs>
0: Oh, that's neat.
1: Um, so he is um, a director of mechanical and aeronautical engineering at the Royal Military College of Canada. So he's thank you a, for that, Mom. He's a
0: professor. Mm. That's very impressive. Kingston, Ontario. We yeah. are truly international. Closer to home, one of our regular contributors, Ems Jenkins, has been in touch. Hello, Susie and Giles. Congratulations on your 101st and 102nd episodes, because <laughs> uh, you described it, didn't you, as a 101th. I'm yes. looking forward to the 100th. I absolutely love the show. Oh, it's very nice. I run a garden machinery shop in South Wales, and a job that came into us the other day got me thinking about the word puncture. Does this have the same root as the word punctuate, as I often think of punctuation as a stabbing of sentences?
1: Well, Ems is spot on with that one, actually, because it was originally, as we talked about this in our punctuation episode again, it was the pointing of psalms for the purpose of singing them, so introducing the right pauses so that you could sing them with the right sense. And essentially, it was a marking with points in writing in order to show pauses, show emphasis and that kind of thing. That and puncture both go back to the Latin punctus, which in turn was the past participle of pundere, which meant to prick. Or to pierce, and of course, if you have a puncture, you have a pierced tire. So it was—it was pretty much to do with a stabbing of sentences, um, whether or not you were literally stabbing it with your pen, or whether it, would, it was just the fact that you were actually marking it with points. Um, you know, is open to conjecture. But but yes, it is all to do with piercing your text or piercing your tire. Gosh,
0: there we are. Mm. Next up, Smarmy.
1: Oh, that's a good one. Leo Risley, this is from, who's wondering about the origin of smarm and smarminess. He's recently wondered about the unctuous word, such a good term, that unctuous, and whether it shares its origins with the Polish word for Greece, smar, which I believe come, comes from the Middle High German, schmer. And I think schmieren is still in German for smearing. And indeed, that was the original meaning of smarm. It was to smear or bedaub, and it was especially to smear it with pomade. You know, that scented ointment for your hair. Yes, I always think yes. cool Poirot with his pomade. So that's originally what it meant. And we don't know quite where it comes from, but it does, the sound of it does suggest schmear and it does suggest something, as um, Leo says, something unctuous. And then eventually it was to smear with flattery and that was how schmarm and smarm then came to mean you're just a little bit fake if you're smarmy. But he also asked about toodaloo. Because he, well, says he to signs to off us. toodaloo, doesn't he? Yeah. In, toodaloo, ta-ta. Yes. And he wonders where that comes from. And he wonders if it comes from the French "a tout meaning see you soon. And um, yeah, again, he's, our purple listeners are amazing because, yes, there is an element of that in it. So, Toodle-pip and toodle came about the sort of time when the motor car became very, very popular. So uh, there was another expression toot-toot for goodbye that conjures up the sound that an old motor car might make as it was leaving. That led probably to the toodle bit. But the pip-pip, toodle-pip, follows the same idea of repeated sound, maybe made by a car horn. But yes, there might well have been a tout à l'heure, see you soon, at play here, picked up by British soldiers fighting in France during the First World War. So all of those probably came to cement Toulouse in the dictionary.
0: Well, if people want to get in touch with us with their queries, because we'll do our best to answer them, well, Susie will, just get in touch with us. It's purple at else.com and something doesn't have a G in it, just to be perverse. (laughs) Do you have a trio of interesting words to which you'd like to introduce us this week?
1: Well, the first is because I hope that we are all, no matter which country we're in, that we are all are gradually edging our way towards some kind of freedom. So I've got a phrase here from dialect, which originally meant to be kind of in prison. It was all about being in a state of confinement, which seems fairly apt for what we've been living through for the last year. And it's Dixie Fixie. So we've been in a Dixie Fixie for quite a long time, probably goes back to Dixit, he said, meaning a judge that would send someone to prison. But Dixie Fixie became a general term for being just confined somewhere, um, as I say, which is what we've all been feeling. Um, Another D for you, Doggery Bore. I just love this one. Doggery Bore is nonsense. Has to be said with a Wild West accent, I reckon, Doggery Bore, even though it was around and... uh, quite well in English dialect for quite a long time. Doggery bore. And finally, you know the sort of annoyance or vexation that gets you all hot and bothered and you just can't think straight because you're just annoyed, so annoyed with yourself. That is puckeration and probably goes back to puck, meaning a mischievous spirit, famously, obviously, in A Midsummer Night's Dream. But even before then, it meant this kind of mischievous sprite that would cause all sorts of of things, cause all sorts of havoc. So, puckeration is anything that gets you hot under the collar.
0: And do you have a trick for helping us to remember these words? I mean, my feeling is what I ought to do is choose a word each week and then use it several times during the week because often you introduce me to a word and then a month later mm. I vaguely remember there was a word but I can't remember what the word is.
1: Yes, for me it's been all about exposure. So it's one of the joys of my life that I kind of experience an emotion or experience something and I think oh yes there's a word for that and I have to dig around for it in my head. But I think learning a word a day, learning a new word a day is is Brilliant. Reading widely is brilliant. Listening to podcasts is is brilliant. And that's just the way that you you can easily build up your vocabulary. But also using it in context. So applying one of these words, like, oh gosh, I was in such puckeration yesterday. And applying it to an actual situation really, really helps because that will help cement it as I say in your in your head.
0: Well, you bring immense knowledge to our podcast. I just bring occasional a name dropping. And <laughs> a I feel I haven't brought any names to drop this week. And then I suddenly remembered that I was thinking about Billie Jean King the other mm. day. I was thinking about her on my birthday, which every year coincides with International Women's Day. And it was first held, International Women's Day, in New York a long time ago, back in 1909. But it got official recognition from the United Nations uh, in the 1970s, I think in 1970. 5. And I was thinking about it on the day itself because I one of the most impressive women I have met is Billie Jean King, the great tennis player, and she introduced me to a most amusing poem. You may remember that she challenged a, a rather arrogant former tennis champion called Bobby Riggs. Or maybe he challenged her to play tennis because he didn't believe that a woman could beat a man at tennis. And a movie was made of this. Anyway, there was this famous match, Bobby Riggs versus Billie Jean King, back in 1973, and a poem was written about it by Liz Brownlee. And this is my short poem for this week. Bobby Riggs, tennis champ, said a woman couldn't beat a man. Billie Jean King, tennis champ, in three straight sets, showed a woman can.
1: <laughs> Excellent. Uh, I like that. And don't be too worried about your name dropping, because I think we got Harry and Meghan.
0: Oh, yes, we did. But the, Billie Jean King was a proper encounter. We were just mentioning Meghan and Harry. Well, we weren't, because we've given them up for Lent, so we didn't. Not well, speak for yourself. Do you know the, what I, I can't wait for the end of Lent, because I love a hot cross bun. Mm. aren't they good they are good I know and I know I know it's not good I know I shouldn't be recommending this slightly over toasted so it's Mm. a little bit a little bit burnt with real butter you can get now
1: talking about hyperbole of food I have no idea how this is described on the packet but you can get luxury hot cross buns that are kind of made with marmalade oh they're so good
0: but that Um, I would call that gilding the lily if I may say so, that's overdoing it. You don't need... Keep your marmalade off. It's like people say, put marmite underneath on your toast before you put on the baked beans on top. No, no.
1: Keep you haven't it tried some. this yet, Charles. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you one. Oh, you're right. I um, haven't tried it. It is extremely good, and I hope that we've been all right and sort of good, even without the marmalade, uh, for you today. Thank you so much for listening. Um, Something Rides With Purple is a Something Else production, produced by Lawrence Bassett, with production from Harriet Wells, Steve Ackerman, Ella McLeod, Jay Beale, and the man for whom no superlatives would suffice, really, don't you reckon, Giles? No,
0: he's a Dixie fit himself. It's Gully!